All right. So um, if you want to turn in your Bibles or your Bible apps to uh, Romans chapter one, um, we're going to kind of continue where we've been the last two weeks um, and then we'll actually move into, into Romans chapter two. Um, so I, I want to start off reading Romans one fifteen through 17. So I am eager. I am excited to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, the non-Jew. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Um, I've said it here the last couple weeks, but these are my three favorite consecutive verses in the entirety of the Bible. In this, we see that Paul has told the church at Rome, a bunch of strangers, a a church that he's never met, that he doesn't know, um, he has told him his theme, and that is the power of God to save and the righteousness of God, which, which we can't earn, which we can't stir up, but that is power in our life to walk in faith according to the Holy Spirit, just to walk out our salvation with with blessing and joy and strength. Salvation, according to Paul in this message, he says salvation is needed for the Jew. Salvation is needed for the non-Jew. Salvation is needed for the uh Sophisticated is sophisticant a word? If not, it should be. That's a that's like a sophisticant. We're gonna call it. We're gonna dub it. Faith is needed for the sophisticant. And and also Paul talks about that salvation is needed for the barbarian. How about for us? Salvation is needed um, for the really big sinner who does the really frowned upon sins that our society deems really ugly. And then salvation is needed for the good sinners who are only gossips and slanderers and rude and passive and foolish and disobedient. Paul lays it out there. He lays it out there and says, salvation is needed for all. Now, I'm not talking about like getting saved again like every time we, we mess up. I mean, I went to churches as a kid where people, re, they rededicated their lives to the Lord every week because every week they did some sort of sin and they felt like they needed to run down to the altar and give their lives to the Lord all over again. I'm not talking about that because that makes weak the work of Jesus Christ. If it's that weak that we can lose our salvation just because we got mad and cussed someone out or lost our temper or cheated on a chest or whatever then how strong was that salvation in the first place? That's not what's being talked about. What's being talked about is that Greek word sozo, which means rescued, healed, and delivered. So we who have trusted our lives in Christ, that's what we need constantly, his rescue. I, I don't care the situation. He's the one that can rescue. He's the one that can sustain. He's the one that we call out to and we call upon the name by which we can only be saved and that's the name of Jesus. He's the one that heals and he's the one that sets us free. So 
I love that in these first 17 verses of Romans, Paul introduces himself, he introduces Jesus, he introduces his message, he encourages this church um, full of like entrepreneur types, like entrepreneur Christians, if you will, because there's no record of who started this church. They heard the good news of Jesus and they formed together and they started growing and they started making a difference. And then we see in verse 18 why salvation is needed. Why we need Jesus. So first, uh, Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God, the anger of God, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Is wrath a sin? Is anger a sin? No. No, it's not. Some of you are looking at me like, are you sure? Are you sure, Mark? Because it sounds bad. Like I, I've heard in like movies and stuff, wrath is like a deadly sin. And there's seven of them. Well, there's more, there's more than seven deadly sins. They're all deadly. And wrath, anger is actually not a sin. And, and here's how I'll reply to that. Does God get angry? Did we see Jesus get angry? And the answer to both those questions is yes. So if God gets angry, then anger is not a sin. If Jesus got angry, then anger is not a sin. Because they did not sin. Is it possible for us, just human, you and I, to get angry and not sin? Absolutely it is. But it requires humility. It requires intentionality. And it requires submission to God above submission to the moment. Submission to anger or submission to fear or submission to whatever it is we're feeling at that moment. It requires submission to God. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and sin not. Now this is like some license to be some like, like raging like moron. Like where I'm, I'm, I was given permission to be angry. No, you were given permission to be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What we see here is there's a, there's a sense of urgency and importunity that we have to treat those strong emotions with. Don't let it fester. As a matter of fact, don't let the sun go down. Don't go to bed while still in this place. It requires humility and urgency and intentionality and submission to God. James 1, 19-20 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So there's an interesting insinuation that James makes here, and I don't know if you caught it. The anger of man doesn't produce righteousness, but the anger of God does produce righteousness. 
And here's where we have to adjust our thinking. God's anger is not our anger. Because God does it without sinning. And we rarely do it without sinning. I mean, maybe that's an over-exaggeration, but it... God's anger is against unrighteousness. And the Father made the way for us to be righteous through the obedient, faithful work of Jesus Christ. God's anger is against sin. So, if you have a friend that, maybe a friend, a loved one, a family member, let's say they were in an accident where a drunk driver hit them. You would be angry against drunk driving. You would be angry against against getting drunk. You would be angry, perhaps, just against alcohol in general. You would be angry that this item, whatever that is, the alcohol, the drunk driving, the getting drunk, whatever it is, that this thing caused pain to someone you like, someone you love, someone that's close to you. And God is no different. He looks and sees what sin does to us. He looks and sees the barrier that comes between us and him when there is sin and unrepented sin. And he gets angry at it because he wants nothing between us. The work of Jesus tore the the veil in, in the temple where that now there is, he is our mediator, Jesus Christ. So there's no veil between us and God. But when we allow sin or shame or those things to be a veil, to be a barrier, that makes God what? Angry at it. Because he loves us. So this is interesting. God is love. He doesn't just love. God is love. Right? And God gets angry. And I know there's certain things that kind of scramble our brain a bit because our context is so human. And we just need to allow the Lord to kind of teach us and stretch us in some things. Romans 1, 18 through 23. I want to read the, the bigger chunk of that right there. And, and I want to make this point. God's anger is a holy hatred of all sin. And he's determined to remove it. Jesus paid the price so that it would be removed. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause right there. You guys, when we know God, it, it should be instinctive and it, it, should something, it should be intentional as well that we honor God and we give thanks to God. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 
If I used a phrase three times in four sentences, it would stand out to you, right? I mean, I'm talking about a phrase that's like unique, a phrase that's distinct. Like let's say we're talking and all of a sudden I say, well, stupid is and stupid does. And then we keep talking and then a sentence later I'm like, well, stupid is and stupid does. And I say something else, that's a hot day today, but stupid is and stupid does. You would go, okay, Forrest, we get it. What's, what's your point? So Paul gets ready to make a distinct statement three times in four sentences. And this is what his phrase is. Paradidomi, autos, paradidomi. Paradidomi, autos, paradidomi. Paradidomi, autos, paradidomi. That's the phrase he uses three times. And it means to give over to or to give power and control to choose. To give over to. To give power. To give control over to who? What? Here's a truth that you're probably not going to like to hear, but it's a truth that, that will bring freedom. Both you and God cannot be in control. You have to choose. You have to choose if you're calling the shots or God is. You have to choose if you want your way or you want God to have his way. There's only one wheel. And Carrie Underwood made it real clear. It's either us holding that wheel or we say, Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. We have to either surrender and relinquish control or we, to God. Or we're the ones that bear the weight of being in control. So when I see in scripture that I'm told don't do this, and I do this, I'm the one in control. I'm saying I want my will above God having his will. It's not rocket science. Stupid is as stupid does, huh? Paradidomi autos paradidomi. To give unfettered control. I want to continue reading in verse 24. And I want you to listen for this phrase. And here's what the phrase is. Not in the Greek as I just, just said. But in the English. And the phrase is gave them up. Okay? Gave them unfettered control. Therefore God gave them up. In the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women. And were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. And receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind. To do what ought not to be done. Now before you go getting all judgy. 
because earlier I talked about like the really bad sins, right? Like the, the sins that, you know, society looks at. So before you get judgy, let's keep reading in verse 29. They were filled after God gave them unfettered control. Okay? After he has given them sin. You want control? You got control. After they've been given control, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Evil. Uh, covetousness, which is jealousy, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent. You know what insolent means? Rude. Like nasty, like rude. Haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, Ruthless, we, we, there they are, there they are. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. They're like, they cheer them on. Ah, that's a way to go, a way to go. I think of like, there's just been a wave of like senseless violence and destruction we've seen in our nation in the last couple of years. And, and what, it irritates me. It just bugs me because I'm like very frugal. Like, you should like destroy anything. Like, you broke a window. Now someone's got to pay for that window. Cause I'm, but there's a sense of justice that I have also. It just bugs me. And then you have people cheering them on. Cheering them on to evil. But here we see Paul say that, that we do the same thing. We encourage one another to these evil things. Now, I want to remind you here this is still Paul's introduction to a church he doesn't know. This is still Paul's introduction to a people that he doesn't know. That he's never met. That, that maybe some have heard of him, maybe some haven't. We don't know. But he got done talking about the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel that has power to save. And then he, he talks about righteousness, that we are righteous by the work of Jesus Christ. And then he unpacks, like with such detail, this is why you need salvation. This is why Rome needs salvation. This is why we need Jesus. We can go back to Romans 1, 15 and 17. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Offered to the Jew first and also to the non-Jew. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. People need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. Your righteousness, my righteousness is filthy and it is not good enough. We need Jesus. You need Jesus. With that, Romans chapter 1 comes to a close. With this long list of sins, and if I'm just being honest, I guarantee we've sat there and ranked at least some of these sins that doesn't sound so bad. That one's not so bad. I, I do that one. Not, that's not bad. I don't do that one, so I'm good. Right? Maybe that's, that's... I don't do that one, so that makes me good. 
I'm switching over to the, the Passion Translation as I read from Romans 2 um, because it really, mwah, like chef kiss, like it makes it so wonderfully clear. And for the record, the chef's kiss is a wonderful thing. Like we don't use it enough, like we should. It's just great. But you got to do, then throw it, I don't know. Romans 2, verses 1 through 3. And this is just after he read this long list of sins, right? No matter who you are, before you judge the wickedness of others, you had better remember this. You are also without excuse, for you too are guilty of the same kind of things. When you judge others, and then do the same things they do, you condemn yourself. He's not matching like tit for tat. He's not matching like apple for apple, right? He's saying when you do something on this list I mentioned, then you do any of the things on this list I mentioned. When you sin, you sin. That's the point he's trying to make here. He's not saying, when you murder, you murder. Because it was like, oh, thank God, I haven't murdered. He's saying, when you sin, you sin. And when you're judging someone for sinning, you are bringing judgment on yourself. We know that God's judgment falls upon those who practice these things. God is always right. Because he has all the facts. And no matter what, uh, who you think you are, when you judge others who do these things and then do the same things yourself, what makes you think that you will escape God's judgment? So this is a reminder. This is just a reminder. Your righteousness, here's the reminder, your righteousness is not enough. You guys... He's talking to the church here and he's saying your righteousness is not enough. It has to be God's righteousness. Because you're going to do one of these things on the list. In the next five minutes perhaps. Maybe now. Maybe someone was jealous of my awesome shoes. You did one of the things on the list. You didn't murder but you sinned. Verse 4. Love this. Love this. Do the riches of God's extraordinary kindness make you take him for granted and despise him? Haven't you experienced how kind and understanding he has been to you? Don't mistake his tolerance for acceptance. Right here. Right here. I love this. Do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you into repentance? Don't you know that his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? I love this. Just because you haven't been struck down with the lightning bolts, which God, you know, he doesn't do, but you, you know, we... You get what I'm saying? Just because he hasn't, like, don't think he accepts sin. Just because he hasn't struck you down with lightning, don't think he accepts sin. He hates sin. Because it kills. 
Let me, let, me just, let me just be raw with you. Let me just flesh it out. Let's say I cheat on my wife. Let's say I have sex with another woman. I kiss another woman. I don't care what the level of, of cheating is. Let's say I do it. Who does that affect? Does that just affect me? Hey, that just affects me. Does that just affect me? So it affects my wife. It affects our relationship. It affects my children. It hurts Huge understatement. It devastates them. It affects my friendships. It affects my neighbors. It affects my, my ministry. It affects this church. It affects others that have looked to me like in a father figure and looked at me to point them to Jesus saying, man, I... It, and that's, that's me. I'm just using my example. But I'm letting you know, sin kills and God hates it. Sin hurts and God hates it. Sin wounds. And Jesus Christ paid the price so that we could be sozo, that, that word for salvation, rescued, healed, and set free. He loves you. God is love, but he hates sin. He loves you, but he hates sin. And he's sitting there saying, don't, Don't think I ever accept your sin. God wants us to walk in his righteousness. Now he knows that, that we're going to fall, we're going to slip up, we're going to envy awesome shoes, we're going we're gonna, to whatever. It's his righteousness. So let's keep reading in verse 5. But because of your calloused heart and refusal to change direction, refusal to change your mind, refusal to repent, you are piling up wrath or anger for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. For he will give to each one in return for what he has done. For those living in constant goodness and doing what pleases him, seeking an unfading glory and honor and imperishable virtue, man, what a... Boy, that sounds beautiful. How extravagant is that? For those living in constant goodness and doing what pleases him, seeking an unfading glory and honor and imperishable virtue, will experience eternal life. But these governed by selfishness and self-promotion, whose hearts are unresponsive to God's truth and would rather embrace unrighteousness, will experience the fullness of anger. Anyone who does evil can expect tribulation and distress to the Jew first and also to the non-Jew. But when we do what pleases God, we can expect unfading glory, true honor, and a continual peace to the Jew first and also to the non-Jew. For God sees us without partiality. So just so you guys know, that, that whole, you know, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, or to the Jew first and then to the non-Jew, the point that's being made is, Jesus was offered to Jews first. That's who he came preaching the good news to and also to the non-Jew. And so he's sitting there, Paul's preaching to a predominantly non-Jewish crowd. So he's saying, hey, just because it was offered to them first is not any less. It was just brought to them first, but now it's being brought to you. What are you going to do with it? I want to make sure we catch something really key, so I'm going to read it again. And, and just please lock in. I know that there's a lot of scripture here, but 
lock into this. Romans 2, 7 through 8 again. For those living in constant goodness, can we say constant goodness? What kind of goodness? Constant. Constant. Constant? Constant. And doing what pleases him. Seeking an unfading glory and honor and imperishable virtue. They will experience eternal life. So what is living in constant goodness? This is, this is so important. What is living in constant goodness? Is it being really, 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 really good all the time? Because that's what it sounds like, right? Constant goodness. Being really, 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 all the time. No. Paul is talking about living in faith under the submission, the surrender, the control of Christ. So that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the faithfulness of Christ. He sees the faith of Jesus. And he doesn't see what? He doesn't see sin. So therefore he's not what? He's not angry. Those of you that think I'm simplifying this, I'm not. I'm not. But you're certainly welcome to try for yourself to be really, 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 really good all the time. To never fail. But then again, that's when Paul says, none of us are saved by our works, but only by grace. I might have sinned at some point up here. I don't know. Maybe something I said was rude. Well, I forgot what the word was. I don't know. But I do know this. I'm surrendered to Christ. I'm not up here for my own fame. I'm not up here for my own purpose. I'm up here for the sake of Jesus Christ. To proclaim his good news. And I'm telling you guys, if you think your righteousness is enough, you are what? It's like Happy Days. Like, remember the Fonz? He could never say he was wrong. Young people, there was a show called Happy Days. Uh, Henry Winkler played this character called the Fonz. And uh, he was super cool. Correctamundo. And he could never say he was what? He could never hear he was wrong. He's like, I'm roo, 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 roo. I'm roo, 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 roo. I'm wrong. And honestly, you guys, you, you guys are pretty bad at it too. I'm pretty bad at it too. Like, I'm wrong. Seeking an unfading glory and honor and imperishable virtue is doing life God's way. Being led by the Holy Spirit, being sanctified through that daily walking out of our faith that sometimes includes stumbles. And the Lord's there and picks us up and says, let's get back in the race. Come on, sweetie. Let's do it. Come on. Let's, let's continue. Come on, buddy. Whatever affectionate term God has for you, saying, come on. Come, son. Come, daughter. We are being sanctified daily. We are being made as we walk out our faith, dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit, 
We are, we are being made to look like Him and to act like Him. The things I did yesterday, hopefully I'm not going to do today and I won't do tomorrow. But it's not my own strength I'm leaning upon. It's a love for God and it's a surrender of control. To Gaia, you can't say God's in control if you refuse to let him be in control. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. Only one of us can be in control. Does that make sense? Again, this isn't rocket science. Why? Because it's about trust. It's about faith. You guys, I'm just telling you, being a follower of Christ and even being a godly leader, it's a, it's a risky thing. It is risky. Because it requires authenticity and it requires vulnerability. Like, I don't know any other way to do it. Like, I... All we know to do is to be authentic and to be vulnerable. If God's in control, then my response can't be one of pride where I try and elevate myself and, put, and present this perfect image of something that's not real because I'm not perfect. I'm forgiven. I'm not perfect, but, but I'm growing to look more and more like Him. I'm being perfected. And so are you. I know that vulnerability is not easy. It's challenging. Showing weakness is challenging. And honestly, we don't, we don't, I think it's okay that we don't show that weakness to everybody. Because there are some people that, man, will get, will get shanked either emotionally or, I mean, just. But I'm just letting you know right now, as the body of Christ, as his church, we should be willing to be vulnerable with one another. Now, I want to follow up on something just so I, we don't allow any sort of vain imaginations. Man, I, I won't even, like, my marriage is awesome. I've never cheated on my wife. Man, I, I won't eat a meal with another woman. I mean, I, I'll tell you, the last time I even sat alone with another woman, was Marie and I had coffee together to talk about worship team in this public setting where I'm like, hey, babe, I'm getting ready to go in to have coffee with Marie. I'll call you when I'm done. It was like, you know, 45 minutes, almost an hour, whatever. And I'm like, it was great, great time. But there's accountability there. And I, I, I guard my good name. I guard the reputation of Jesus Christ. Because I carry that as a pastor. But I'm just letting you know, you carry it too as a follower of Jesus. This is not just something, this for a pastor. You carry it too. If you proclaim to be a Christian, you bear his name. Christ-like, little Christ getting fired up, man. I'm getting fired up. Come on. Uh. I think there's times, it's probably good that Kara's not here. I think she gives me the look sometimes. Like, don't cuss. Don't cuss. I, I think you're going to, I think you're going to cuss. Don't. Okay, he didn't. Oh, politics. Don't talk about politics. Or the Raiders. Or the Ra- Just, just stick to Jesus. And I'm like, oh, babe, I'm sorry. I went off script. I, but I didn't cuss. Be angry, but don't sin in your anger. Anybody ever get sad? Be sad, 
but don't sin in your sadness. You ever get frustrated? Be frustrated. But don't sin in your frustration. You ever feel hopeless and weak? You can experience the full spectrum of feelings and emotions, but depending on who you've declared is in control will depend on how you respond with each moment. Sometimes we respond great, we nail it. Sometimes we respond poorly and we don't nail it. And then we run to Jesus and say, Lord, would you just grow me? I need you, Lord, would you just grow me? I want to look more like you. And in that moment, I didn't. And I didn't sound like you. And I I want to. I want to look like you and I want to sound like you. And when the Father looks at me, I want him to only see your righteousness. Because it's not me. I, I can't be really, 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 really good all the time. But Lord, you know my heart. Be under God's control and not your own. And I'll say this also. Don't let your feelings or emotions control you. You're going to feel them. You're going to feel them. Because we're human. You're going to feel the emotion. But don't let it now manipulate you into some response that is not faith. Just to be honest with you again, man, when I'm feeling these emotions and I'm feeling down or I'm feeling hopeless or I'm feeling sad, like I, I, I just vomit it to the Lord. And sometimes when I vomit it to the Lord, I cuss. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. I, I hope you haven't put me on a pedestal. I'm being honest. There's times I'm like, I feel like bleep. Lord, this is bleep. My God loves me so much. He loves me so much. He sees past the bleep and he sees the hurting heart. He's like, tell me about it, my son. Tell me about it, my boy. I'm listening. Tell me about it. I'm here. So I'm just letting you guys know that when like, when you're alone with the Lord, you can be raw. You can be honest. You don't have to be polished. It doesn't have to be our Father who art in heaven. I don't even, I mean... God, I'm hurting, and I need you. And if I'm honest with you, I'm a little mad at you right now. But, Lord, I'm just a mess, and I need you right now. God's like, tell me about it, my girl. Tell me about it, my girl. I'm listening. And that is surrendering control. That's not having some emotional response where now we're off into... I don't know what the spiritual equivalent of eating an entire gallon of ice cream is. But we're not off doing that, right? Like an entire tray of double stuffed Oreos. Like I don't know what the spiritual equivalent of eating that whole tray is. But like that's what the enemy wants, right? He wants us to just get carried away. Next thing we've gone down this path that we think, oh, there's no backing out from it. I want to read one more scripture. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 8. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him. So he's okay with the, the vomiting on him. Because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. 
your enemy, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Just because he's seeking doesn't mean that you are uncovered. Just because he's seeking, the enemy is wandering around looking to see whom he might devour. Just because he's seeking doesn't mean you're his prey. And when we're submitted to God, and when we say you're in control, I think the enemy takes one look and says, he's not one I can devour. He's one I need to run from. But when we're trying to do it in our own strength or our own righteousness, our own holiness, our own whatever, I feel like this is what makes us possible prey. Can we can we stand up for a moment? I'm done. I'm done preaching. I have no more scriptures. Um, I just feel like, and can we close our eyes? If we don't take a second and just make that declaration, Lord, I want you to be in control. I think we're just missing a moment. I think there's a moment here where the God wants us to give Him the wheel. To relinquish control. To say, Lord, I, I you call the shots. I, I want what you want. Even as we're there in this moment, and the cool thing about our eyes being closed is, just don't even, just imagine you're just alone in the room with the Lord right now. If there's things that you need to repent of, if there's sins that you know are just prominent that you've done, just right now where you are, just talk to him. Just repent. Change your mind and change your actions about what that sin was and recognize that's not what God wants. It doesn't bring life. It will never bring life. And just just talk with the Lord right there. There is no judgment. You can tell Him anything. Lord, we thank you as we are just talking with you right now. Maybe we're confessing, maybe we're repenting, maybe we're just we've just opened up that channel of dialogue and maybe we haven't even said a word yet, but we've opened the door to you. What we're saying is come in. What we're saying is you're welcome. And we're acknowledging that we need you and we even though we like to be in control, we, we really want you to be in control. We want you to have your way. With all my eyes closed, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, but right now you you want to know him, you want to receive salvation and forgiveness and grace, and you want the new life that comes with being a new creation that only comes through trust, trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. With all eyes closed, if you've never trusted your life in Jesus, but you want to do that right now, Would you just lock eyes with me? Would you give me a nod? Would you give me something where you and I can celebrate this moment that God is doing something in your life and and you're just saying yes to him in some way? Is there anybody here? Amen. And maybe there's folks here that are like, man, I've been away for so long. And I just feel like the Lord's just calling me to 
to just a, a recommitment, a repurposing to say, I, Lord, I, I, I've been on the ground, I've stumbled, and I'm just getting back up. And if that's you, this moment is for you as well. So just respond to the Lord. Just cry out to Him. In Romans 10 it says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be rescued, healed, and delivered. So just do that right there where you are right now. In Jesus' name, amen. In Acts chapter 20, Luke is talking about Paul, and Paul says, I have proclaimed the whole gospel. He's talking about, I've ran the race, I've completed the task, I've done the work. My conscience is clear. I've proclaimed the whole gospel. And I'm telling you today, reading Romans 1 and 2, I love reading about the power of God and salvation for all who believe that part of the gospel. But I'm letting you know right now, when we read that list of sin, and we see that Jesus has conquered that by belief in Him, that is just as much the gospel as any other part, the part that makes us feel good, if you will. We need Jesus. So let's never be shy or allow shame to keep us from running to Him. Amen. Uh, If you need prayer at the end of the service, please come up. We'd love to pray with you. Um, I'll leave us with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. Have an amazing day. Love you guys.